This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Everyday grab-and-go, everyday giftable, everyday fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. All right, it's Film Study with Ken McCusick. Uh, We're going to look back at the loss. 23-17, 
uh, this weekend. You all know that. If you're listening to this and you don't know what happened, that's a issue, and you probably shouldn't be listening to this podcast, but I don't want to turn anyone away. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? Uh, it's going all right. Um, it's going all right, considering how ugly that game was on Sunday, and we're going to get into it, and today will be a defensive look. Uh, but, I mean, we've got to just talk about the the general fact of the season's over. Yeah, you you know, at, at the end of every year, you just don't get time to get used to the fact that your team is out. They're they're out. It's over very quickly. I think I had time yesterday. <laughs> you you had time, but but at, between about halftime or late in the first half, and then <laughs> exactly about <laughs> halftime till about uh whatever the final four minutes of the game. Yeah, and they've, they've had another chance again. Yeah, okay, well. Now, you know, obviously not a not a good outcome, not the one we wanted. Uh, it kind of reminds me of two really terrible home playoff losses, and in fact, the only other two home playoff losses. The Ravens only played six of their of their twenty four franchises playoff games at home. They are three and three in those games, and twelve and six on the road. So, their home losses to the Titans in two thousand three and in two thousand six each had big similarities to this. Start with the Titans game in oh three. That was a year, of course, they had Jamal Lewis and rushed for right. 2066. And they had an offensive line that could do some good, decent blocking. And they really tried to run Lewis against the Titans defense, which was one of the best they'd faced, of course, the entire year. And the Titans shut Lewis down pretty quickly in that game. He had a lousy game. And the Ravens were not very quick about changing to the pass and giving the game to Anthony Wright or at least you know balancing their attack to try and do some other other things they they just pretty much stayed with the run with Jamal for a, for a very long time in that game and uh, when they eventually did they got a tie they had a chance to to, to win the game late and uh, unfortunately they failed to convert a third and about four after McAllister had a big interception then they kicked the ball back Orlando Brown had a 15-yard penalty they drove down the field they kicked a field they Anderson kicked a field goal that barely cleared the crossbar just a, a terrible loss at home it was a kind of a slow death and slow failure of the running game that game. But the, the other one that I'm sure a, a lot more people re- remember, the 13-3 and Ravens of 2006, who were very dominant defense, right. 60 sacks. The divisional um, game. The, the, the divisional game, yeah. They, were, they, they hosted the Colts after the Colts had to play on the road. The Ravens got the bye in the final week by beating Buffalo. And you know, they came here and, and basically they put the, the – Ravens to the same sort of slow, torturous death where the defense played very well and they held Manning to five field goals in that game. But And Manning himself, I think, had a quarterback rating of about 30, if I recall correctly, a couple interceptions by Ed Reed in the game. And they uh, they still got five field goals, went up uh, 15, uh, you know, scored 15 points and won the game 15 to 6. Uh, the big play in that game was a uh, interception thrown by McNair at the end of the half and just in terms of missed opportunities in terms of the five field goals in terms of the defense you know holding up its part of the bargain all reminded me of this lousy affair on Sunday yeah we were talking on section 336 today about how much this game it didn't remind us of previous games it just seemed like the entire year was was brought into one game and this game just kind of represented how the Ravens season as a whole went this year with the coming in with big expectations and then kind of doing okay but not really doing anything flashy to you think that you think all right everything's done to some type of miracle at the end to give you hope and then for the game to end on a fumble just seemed fitting 
Yeah, that's that's good. I mean, that's couldn't can't argue with that logic. That's very fitting analogies all the way. All right, but uh, <laughs> we won't get into Lamar. We won't get into the offensive line. Uh, there might be a little mailbag with that, but for the most part, we'll save that for the next episode. Let's look at the defense. And the defense, uh, especially uh, it seemed kind of early in this game, was holding their own and being set kind of with their backs against the wall. We're doing okay. Yeah, they, they really did. I mean, I don't think there's anything you can say that's a very legitimate complaint about the defense. And I've got a couple things that we'll talk about as the show goes on. But basically speaking, the defense played very well. And I don't want to lose sight of that fact. They held the Chargers to 243 yards. That was their second lowest total of the season. And the only game where they were lower, guess what? That was week 16 against the Ravens when they only had 198. 3.7 yards per defensive play. You win that ball game. Right. I mean, you do not lose that ball game, not very often. Uh, the Chargers – I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, yeah, the Ravens did – as far as the defense, the defense did everything they needed to and then probably a little extra to try to win the game. Yeah, uh, they yeah. just needed the offense to not blow it. Um, but also, the, this, the Chargers came in with a different offense where they weren't – didn't seem like they were going to rely on Phillip Rivers to throw the ball deep. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't have a bunch of deep passes. They only gave up one play of twenty yards or more in the entire game. That was for twenty-eight yards. Jimmy Smith had kind of a had kind of a tough day. We're going to talk about that a little later in terms of 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 some of the way the defense maybe got a little tired out. But but basically, they they did a great job of forcing Rivers again to get rid of the ball pretty quickly. Uh, he he did have a lot of completed passes. A lot of them were short of the sticks. Some of them on third down, in fact. And, uh, you know, these were these were cases where uh, the Ravens did a good job containing him. I think one of the things Sam Fortier talked about when he was the guest on the Know Your Foe episode was that he thought they'd go swing passes a lot more to the running backs. And they tried some of that very unsuccessful right. in this game, uh, including some some plays for loss uh, and a couple other plays for th- for three yards where Rivers took a beat, big hit each time. So those aren't the kind of trade offs that I would be making if I was a Charger fan, even if one of those was a first down. Uh, you know, just not not that exciting a, a trade off. So it's it, I, I think their short passing game was particularly ineffective. They they basically made do with outstanding field position and only had one really decent drive where they ended up stuck sticking it in the end zone. And boy, did they have a lot of help to get it there. So we'll talk about that one at some right. point. Right, we'll get to that. There, not only help, it was later in the game where our defense had to be worn out. That's what surprised me is I was waiting for our defense to just fall flat for being on the field all the time because it yeah. it was um, – it seemed like every time the defense got off the field, they didn't get much of a break. And no, that's true. A lot of three and outs for, for uh, the Jackson offense until about uh, nine minutes left in the ball game. that's for sure. Right. Uh, we're going to get into this, I'm sure, more on the offensive side, but how were the fans in this game? Because the fans really get fired up for third down, yeah. and then they get they want to see that excitement offense come out, but then to have your defense out there every play, even when they're playing well, how's the fans react to all this? I mean, I, I thought the fans in this game were absolutely fantastic. Obviously, there was some some negativism when the offense was continuing to flag and not get anything done. Right, there were some and, boos and some Flacco champs. Yeah. There, there was some booze. There was some we want Joe. But I, and and by the way, you know, fans are going to be fans. So just you you whether it's the right move or the wrong move, and we'll talk about that on the offensive episode. Um, we, you know, that's another that's another matter. But fans yep. are, are allowed to express themselves. Obviously, we're the paying customers in terms of being able to to say we right. want we want Joe or we want Lamar. And the, the players uh, make those salaries to be cheered and to be booed. They that's make, correct. That's the reason you pay four hundred dollars to go to a playoff game. 
That's, that's right. And any, anything in entertainment is subject to fair comment, of course, and that's exactly what the fans are doing when they boo. So life goes on. Anyway, we, It's also why people write comments and reviews about this podcast is to, to praise you and boo me. Yeah. <laughs> or the other way around, believe me. All right. All so right. Uh, uh, we were, we were saying, oh, the fans. I did want to yeah. make one more point. The fans, particularly when the Ravens were on defense on their last time, they had to stop the Chargers on three downs to get the ball back with about a minute left, a little bit under. Yeah. It was the absolute loudest I've ever heard them at a game. Everybody was screaming. Everybody was on their feet. I've never heard it longer. I was in fear of my eardrums with the amount of amount of noise that was being created. It was extraordinarily loud. That's and awesome. that includes indoor facilities, you know, Minnesota, some of the other really well-known, super loud indoor arenas. Right. That, I'm talking about the old Metrodome, really. And, and just never heard it that loud. In Jacksonville in 2000, uh, it's actually one of the last games I missed. Might have been the last game that I missed. Maureen was there. She said that was not as loud as that. So, uh, sorry, it was louder yesterday. Well, and that was. was that was definitely affecting Rivers in getting his play calling out. You saw that. Yeah, he was he was having a lot of trouble trying to get people back to the huddle and whatnot. It was very trouble for him to get to check out of anything. It looked like in the game. So fans were doing their their part uh, there. So anyway, I, I I thought it was just outstanding in terms of of, of how that went. Uh, great playoff atmosphere. If you can't enjoy that about football, you are really, you know, destined for the couch for the rest of your life because that, it, that's what was really fun. It's a beautiful day for, for yeah. you know, January football. So they, you couldn't have complained about that. And if you didn't like the way that the, the crowd was reacting to the game, then you had, I, I just, I don't understand. You, no, it looked, like, it looked like a whole lot of fun. Yeah. Um, all right. So with all this defensive play, did we get overworked on the defense or hold it together? Yeah, so the overall snap total is is not so horrible that you know you would say that's that's too much. They they, they gave up sixty six defensive snaps, only had fifty nine themselves. But that's because most of the time they were getting off quick again. Yeah, they they were getting off quick, and and yeah, they they were also getting the the San Diego off the field fairly quickly most of the time. Right. So San Diego didn't have a bunch of long drives, but but yeah, you're right. Most of the time it was because the offense was letting them down. And I what I will say about it is this that. It's not necessarily that they played so many snaps. It's about how easy they've had it relatively in the recent weeks using the quote-unquote Jackson formula. So they've, they've had these enormous snap count advantages, but it's not just been snap count advantages. It's been rotation at all three levels that we've talked about before right. that has fueled a lot of the high-energy defense they played that further gets them off the field quicker. And it's like a self-sustaining system. Your defense is getting off quicker because they're less tired and your offense is able to stay on the field for longer because the defense on the other side is more tired and you're still just running the ball down their throat. So they couldn't continue that formula against San Diego in this game. Very upsetting that they couldn't because San Diego playing a very undersized defensive unit, you know, the Ravens still weren't able to push that around. We'll talk about that on the offensive show. But on the defense, I thought they were overworked at three levels, and each of them had its own special thing. We talked about the outside linebackers being overworked coming into this game. So we said, right. you know, that, that, that Suggs and Zadarius Smith and Judon were playing more snaps than a lot of other positions where there was rotation. And that what made that worse was the fact that uh, Zadarius Smith has three-point stance snaps on the inside where he's playing, and those are higher-energy snaps. He really disappeared as a pass rusher in the game, this game. Suggs did not do much as a pass rusher in this game. Judon had a big game, uh, and then they used Bowser for a fair number of snaps. He did a little bit, but he wasn't he wasn't 
particularly great in this game either. So their, their outside linebackers really seemed the most overworked of any group, but they weren't the only ones to be overworked. Right. Well, we went into this game. The Canada surprise inactive was was Tavon Young in the secondary. Right. Uh, T- Tavon Young. That was a that was a big inactive because he's he's one of the better slot corners in the league, and he had been dealing with this groin injury. Obviously, they felt they needed to have him take a week off, or the injury was at a point where he wasn't going to be as helpful. And for whatever, they weighed the consequences of having him not there or not, and they decided he was he wasn't ready to go. In any case, that left Smith, Carr, and Humphrey. Now. That's not the only way they could have gone, but it is the way they went. So they used Carr at slot corner with Smith and Humphrey on the outside. And those three guys played more than at any time in recent weeks. Even in the Kansas City game, they had rotation, which kept them at lower snap totals than they had on Sunday. But Carr uh, played the slot exclusively. And and Smith played all the snaps, which he hadn't done. That means you're playing all those snaps consecutively, which is more difficult. You can't break up a long drive by putting in a new cornerback. Now, it's not that they couldn't have. They had Anthony Averett. He's played very well in relief this year. They just decided not to use him. And so they they went with those guys. Smith, who had had a fantastic game last week with two picks, of course, only one completion and seven passes thrown his way for one yard. Well, anyway, that that, uh, did not go as well this week, and Smith was, was the one who Rivers threw over and threw in his area for the three longest passes of the days, which were 14, 17, and 28 yards. And uh, and those all went to Smith's side. Humphrey was outstanding. Carr was outstanding. No problems from those two. But Smith was the one that suffered a little bit in this game from, from heavier play. And that was, of course, due to Young's inactivity. Gotcha. Um, the Ravens, like you said, they keep doing the substitution thing. And that seemed to... Uh help them out but they seem to have trouble with it yesterday they got called uh for 12 men on the field pretty early in the game yeah I, I'm, I'm sorry i got one more thing i gotta oh, yeah. mention on the, on the on the tiring defense is that they again they activated only four defensive linemen again for the game so uh, pierce was right. hurt on the very first play of q3 and they, they've right. come out today and said hyperextended elbow won't require surgery thank god that that would have been a really bad thing obviously but but pierce uh uh was lost for the rest of the game at that point so they had to split the snaps and it was in that third quarter crossing over to Q4 and then the subsequent drive where they got a field goal where the Chargers had their couple of sustained drives of the game where they actually drove down the field for a touchdown. We'll get into how assisted that was. And then also had that field goal drive after it that, that gave that put their total up to 23 points. So uh, obviously those, those 11 points were very big in the end. Those 11 fourth quarter points the Chargers got. And if I had to point to anything, the defense being tired was probably the biggest factor in, uh, in making that happen. Gotcha. All right, so because they're tired, like I was saying, they've got the substitution issues kind of when they're trying to get people in. 12 men on the field with the Urban Carr situation. How how did they get into this issue? Okay, so that was early in the game, so it was a third and one play. And I forget what first quarter, second quarter, whenever it was. But they had... They had a third and one play. They'd been effective stopping third and one, third and two in the game, which was which was good. But they went into this uh, into this play. They rolled Urban onto the field, and Carr would have been the player to come out. You bring out the slot corner in that situation, right. but he didn't leave the field. Ravens had twelve. That not only guaranteed they got the first down would be given because there's a penalty. It also gives a free play away to the offense. And fortunately, they just ran the ball for two yards, so the damage was only five. Right. But it's still the kind of penalty you don't like to see. 12 on the field, 10 on the field. I've got a low tolerance for both of those. 
championship defenses, defenses which know what they're doing, they don't run into this problem very often. So well, it, it happened a lot to the Ravens this year. Right, and they almost had a few times in the game where they almost had only 10 on the field that there was a late guy. Uh, is that a communication issue? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I have to blame the coaches at this point because it's happened so many times this year, and I'm trying to remember now if it's been five or six times, but it, it happened four times in the first five weeks. I want to say once since then, maybe week 14, 15, 16 in there, and then twice more in this game. So, I mean, that's an absurd number for one season. I mean, it, there, a couple of years ago, there, it happened 32 times league-wide, and the Arizona Cardinals had 16 of them. So an average NFL team has it happen once per year. The Ravens have had it happen, you know, six, seven times, whatever it is this season. Right, and but, twi- twice in a wild card game is yeah, no, not acceptable. We, we have to really go over the span of three plays that occurred on that crossover drive because it's so important right. and, and it, it was so critical. But they got to second and two, okay, at the uh, second and goal from the two-yard line, I should say. And that was the play that was a long review involved in the play. But on that before that play, Zadarius Smith ran off the field. He was the 11th defender, not the 12th. And that left the Ravens with 10 on the field to defend that play. And uh, Zedaria Smith, not sure exactly where he would have lined up in that formation, probably on one end since they have additional uh, down linemen. But, right. but anyway, he, he uh, uh, was not there. And Board uh, made the touchdown, a touch to make him down. That was ruled on review, did not cross the goal line. So right. they, uh, you know, they set the ball up there. And, and it's a bad play, but it's only one time. You know, hopefully at least they can they can recover from that. It's third and one. Maybe they get the stop. Well, the third and one play, of course, was the one the review was the whole game was on that. Basically, it was a it was a uh, you know question of it being a fumble. I don't think it was. I think it was correctly ruled exactly how it was. But a question of a fumble by Gordon that was just short of the goal line, rolled in the inside, picked up by Humphrey, run back all the way. So it was originally on the field called a touchdown, and I think it could have been called a touchdown the other way because I don't remember the whistle ever being blown by the referees or by no, the officials. No, the, the, that's the one thing the officials did good is they let the whole thing play, play out. Yes. Where a lot of times you see that not play out. Yeah. Um, do you think so they had 11 men on the field for that. Right. So I, I know we're going to get – I haven't looked at the mailbag yet, but I'm sure there's a question in there about this play. So you mm-hmm. said you think they got the rule in right. Uh, if Weddle didn't touch him, do you think it's a fumble? Or do you think uh, it's a ground cause? And- no, 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 no. If Weddle didn't touch him, it's definitely a fumble because he's not down by contact. He's just, he's, it's definitely a fumble. Okay. Gotcha. Weddle has to touch him to make it be down by contact. And then I think the question was he had his right hand over the ball, left hand under the ball, right. and it, it was a little bit loose in his hands, but there's nothing that would, right. that you, I you think saw he it could- move, but not out of control. That's right. That's right. So I think I think they made the right call in in every respect to to down the ball in the field of play, not a touchdown, not return for a right. touchdown. So I, I it's one of these times you got to give the got to give the officials their their credit for getting it right uh, after you know a fair number of times that they've gotten it wrong over the years. Uh, <laughs> oh, especially a play like that where the whole game hinges on it, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, good point. Fourteen point turnaround. So so anyway, that that play took a long time to review, and then the next play, of course, was that fourth and one play. Yep. And Suggs was very late running on the field, if you if you yeah, kind of can visually remember that that rule. So he was the last guy who got into a stance on that side. And, of course, they ran the play. Gordon ran right over him. Suggs didn't do t- such a bad job of trying to undercut his opponent, but they ran the play right over his side and scored the touchdown. Right. It's, it's fourth and inches. It's, got, it's hard to stop to begin with. 
very very hard to stop to begin with and and it probably is a little harder to stop when your defender's in late but yes. it was it may have been a good headsy play for Suggs to get in if, particularly if he wasn't the one who was supposed to be there right he might so, have just been on the sideline and saw there was a guy short yeah. and ran out there that that's right so it's it that's certainly possible that that's the case so anyway uh, great that he got in bad that they they weren't organized enough to have him in early but at least they had the heavy set in there to try and stop it gordon got in the end zone that was unfortunate okay so on that play, um, uh, then, they had a two-point conversion that followed. Well, there was some confusion over whether the Chargers were going to kick or um, play for a two-point conversion. And the reason being that uh, the um, score was such that it would have made it 19-3, to so a 16-point lead, which is typically the one you'd go for and not 17 to try and keep the other team from catching up. At least that's right. the way I would think of it. You you like to put the other team in a position where not only do they have to get two touchdowns, but they also have to convert two two-point conversions, and you'd rather have that than taking a chance on going up 17. Right. And I, I think I think there is room for debate on that, and, I, and I'd, I'd certainly be open to discussing it, but that, that would be how I'd see it happening. But anyway, the ball gets set. It either gets set at the 15-yard line and you kick, or it gets set at the two-yard line and you make your play. So there's no excuse for not having either unit ready, get in the game, and then be ready to to make a play yeah. to, to, to change that. So anyway, the Ravens uh, had Board and Kennedy run off the field, who I believe Kennedy anyway would have been only on their kick defense team. So I don't know why he was like getting off the field. And then Board ran off the field, who had been there. He was a goal line linebacker who was in for Owasso. So I didn't really understand also why he would have been off late, but he might have been the guy who should have been in the game. If you look at the view from the sideline, it looks like Kenny Young was ready to go in the game but was confused about whether or not he should have been. And he, they were left him off, and then Levine obviously understood very quickly that something was wrong. He covered a slot receiver when that wasn't his job on the play, and then they got the coverage confused on the back end, so Mike Williams ends up being wide open in the corner of the end zone. They go up, uh, let's see, 17 at that point. It certainly looks over at 20-3. to three. But, uh, again, two, three times in four plays, they nearly had 10 men on the field. Just unbelievable that they would let it come to that. It's, yeah, of course. Um, as much as the defense is going well and as much as this coaching by Wink has, is completely different and way more aggressive, to keep running into this issue is not acceptable and something they definitely got to figure out for next season. Um, all right, let's look at some uh, specific guys. And I want to start with Judon because he seemed to be in the backfield a bunch. Oh, he had, had a huge game. So uh, five quarterback hits in the game. And, and it was a it was a mix of very interesting stuff. But they they didn't block him a couple times when they, when they tried to run a short pass to a, to a uh, running back. I mentioned this earlier. It was Eckler both times on consecutive plays. They let him rush unblock and knock down Rivers. It's, it's at the end of the first half. Each play went for three yards. I'm going to tell you that if I'm the offensive coordinator for San Diego and that happens once, I'm not running that same play again with no blocker for, for Judon. I'm, I'm not going to let my quarterback get hit twice in a row like that. But for whatever reason, uh, you know, the San Diego coordinator thought, yeah, that, that, that's okay with me. I'll let him get hit for three more yards. He got five total quarterback hits in the game. Um, he, he beat uh, Okung to the inside. He stunted to the A-gap once. Uh, just a, a set of outstanding things. He shed Okung once for a for a QH. That was the one where the ball popped up, and you know it was one of these things that you know when the Ravens weren't getting inter any interceptions early in the year, that would have been a ball we'd have complained about as being, hey, you know, why can't these balls ever drop into the Ravens' hands or or them be positioned to do it? 
But uh, but anyway, great five quarterback. It's very rare that anybody gets to that kind of a total. He also tackled Benjamin for a loss of one on a third and two swing pass to the outside. Um, and he uh, shed green to tackle Gordon on a run left for minus two. It looked like that was kind of a bad spot for the Ravens. Like it could have been about minus three and a half on that play. But uh, but it was what it was. And, uh, and a very nice play by Judon. The only play that Judon didn't play well came on that crossover drive that set up the touchdown uh, and the, the Chargers only touchdown late in the third quarter. The play was it set up the early fourth quarter touchdown. He lost track of the football and lost the left edge on a running play. He, he got spun around and he thought he was supposed to cover the fullback Watt and Gordon was actually running the ball left with Watt leading and ended up Gordon running for 14 yards down to about the two yard line. And, uh, and that set up their touchdown. So unfortunate on that play, but he otherwise had an outstanding game. Uh, a couple neutral zone infractions that, honestly, they're going to happen. I, I, one of them was, a, was an awful call, by the way. The, the offense has to move for a neutral zone infraction to be called. Right. And, and none of the off- offensive players moved their feet, and they just, they just pointed. Well, that, that's, that's not what you have to do. You have to, you have to show that you were drawn out of your stance for the neutral zone infraction account. Giordano was back on side. These guys were just pointing and stayed exactly right. where their feet were, and, that, and our officials threw the flag for some reason. Because that's what I thought that our defense in that chance, like, had a chance to to pull back to get back in position. Yeah, they they do unless they pull an offensive player out of their stance. No, right. no offensive player was pulled out of his stance. So, anyway, it's, you you got it exactly right, and that was okay. uh, that was an unfortunate call. But that was one of two neutral zone infraction. The other one was one where Pouncey had a head bob and four guys jumped offside, and Judon happened to be one of them. But uh, Anyway, it, it was what it was. Great day for Judon. Uh, he's certainly in good position. Uh, the Ravens need to figure out, I think, if there is a bargain to be had among their four third-year veterans. So Judon's had three full years. Tavon Young's had three full years. Pierce has had three full years. Uh, among those guys, they really need to look and see, is there a cornerstone player that we can identify, or is one of those three guys willing to play at a mild hometown discount to get their financial future solved at the end of three years that will make them a value as a cornerstone rather than making them play out their contract next year, potentially go through the franchise tagging process, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So uh, Judon would be a good player to sign long-term at this point, and the Ravens have some money to do it, and they, they should look to be signing their own free agents if they have good players ahead of going out to the market where they – it will right, lose in the top four. Yeah, and yeah. losing the top four. Okay. Um, Peanut that seemed to have a get in enough plays trying to force the announcers to keep saying his name. There you go. So, uh, you and you, I can tell you're not going to say it. That's all uh, smart. I can try. It's, uh, um, no, I can't do it. I'm, <laughs> the end throws me off. Oswazner. There you go. Okay. So, I can't do it. Oh, oh that's okay. Maybe if I didn't look at it. <laughs> Owasu seems to really have the number of the San Diego running backs. In this game, he rushed unblocked through the left B-gap. Uh, Eckler missed the pickup, and that was an opportunity for him to get a sack minus six. He had a quarterback hit in the game. He had another pressure. Uh, he, he beat Pouncey uh, for a four-yard tackle on Gordon. That was a, a really nice uh, uh, pressure. So just a bunch of, of, of positive things he did in the game. Uh, he, he, of course, got the, the football forced fumble very much like the one on Gates uh, two weeks ago. Green got the reception this time. Jefferson was hanging on to his ankle for dear life. Owasso came up a second man to the ball, punched it free from his right hand. It was so similar to the yep. last play. It's, uh, it's not even funny. Yep. That game, that play should have turned the game around. But then, of course, the Ravens 
right. uh, didn't didn't really do anything with it. Right. We needed Tavon Young on the field in that in that place to take it all the way back. There you go. That's what I felt like at the time was if Mosley didn't take it to the house, it was going to be trouble. All right. Um, all right. I want to talk about a couple old guys. So Eric Weddle uh, seemed to play well, and then afterwards he said that uh, if he he made comment about if the Ravens don't resign him, he'll probably retire. So how did uh, Eric Weddle do? So good game for Eric Weddle, not necessarily in coverage. Although I like the fact that, that San Diego didn't get any long throws in the game, and Weddle certainly deserves part of the credit from that being a back-end guy. But Weddle's real contribution in this game, I thought, was in the fourth quarter in the run game. He had five stops for gains of two or less, and that includes the, the play we talked about tripping up Gordon near the goal line, which set up fourth and one. But he made another wonderful play on, I believe it was the second down play, Q4, 151. Might have been the first play, down play, second down play, whichever it was. The, the the last drive where they had to stop San Diego in order to get the ball back. First down ends the game. The the right edge appeared entirely blocked up. And I mean like everyone on that edge, Jefferson and Judon and Wormley, all appeared like they were stuffed and the, the right edge was, uh, was sealed. And somehow Weddle dove between <laughs> Judon, who was being, being knocked over, and Wormley to take down the ball carrier. Just a remarkable play. You can't even see it on the broadcast video. So uh, g- great play there, and that was one of the ones. Uh, I-, I love the fact that he went out strong like that. Uh, those contributions in the run game are-, are a big part of what Eric Weddle's done. Of course, his time with the Ravens, uh, mostly we think of him as a center fielder, although he's made some other decent plays in the pass rush game as well. But uh, you know, that was a really big contribution to the comeback that might have gone unnoticed to some people. All right. Uh, and I want to talk a little bit about his future, but we'll get to that in the mailbag. Uh, other old guy, I want to talk about Terrell Suggs. Uh, it seemed like he got pulled out or took himself out for a few plays, kind of in the middle of the game. Yeah, so, yeah, he he, he didn't he missed a, a stretch of snaps, and I want to I had the number in here. Like he played only twelve of twenty-five snaps or something at one point. In any case, I've got it. Uh, right. I've got it. Twelve of twenty-eight competitive snaps in uh, after he got injured. Uh, it, this is a case where the Ravens really missed Tim Williams. They really needed another outside linebacker healthy, and and frankly, another pass rusher healthy. And that brings up a question for the future: Is if can the Ravens afford to let Suggs go? He, he's not the right. pass rusher he used to be. Obviously, honestly, didn't have a great year as a pass rusher this year. Can they afford? Can do they do they trust Tim Williams to get back in shape and be that guy? Now that he's a third year, actually a fourth year player next year. So that's really going to be a, a, a big question. And then the Ravens are, are going to need to decide what they've got very quickly with him. Uh, very disappointing the way things have played out for Williams this year. Apparently unprepared and didn't keep up his training regimen while he was hurt. Harbaugh, he's in Harbaugh's doghouse or he would have been active some of these last few weeks because the Ravens really needed the additional pass rusher. But I think you know a lot of what happens to Suggs may be decided by you know, how much they really trust Williams to come back and, and be the starting rush linebacker next year. Gotcha. Um, and final guy I wanted to ask about is C.J. Mosley, because he's, again, another guy they're going to have to make a decision about. Yeah, I, I thought C.J. had another outstanding game. Uh, he, he, he's, so now looks that he's like healthy, he's, he yeah, seems to be playing well. You know, that's really what it is. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced he was playing hurt most of the year. Uh, you know, what, what he did the last few weeks to get the Ravens help get the Ravens in the playoffs, he's been a very big part of that. And he had another good game here. The fumble recovery was obviously nice. He did other things in coverage, wasn't burned, 
and that's what we've generally seen recently is that he hasn't been burned very often. He's been effective as a pass rusher, you know, getting in there and making things happen as a pass rusher, including the interception last week by Jimmy Smith that he tipped. So, uh, you know, I, I'm excited about that. I think, you know, the Ravens ought to find a price that is good for him, and, and hopefully they can come to an agreement on, on what his contractual value is. And, and uh, uh, I'd, I'd love to have him back if, if they can have him. If they don't, they, they're kind of in a difficult position because uh, Weddle is likely gone, I think. Uh, when I hear a comment from Weddle like that, by the way, part of what I'm thinking is he's really saying he wants to be back at, 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 at the salary next year, but he's, his ambivalence is an indication that he doesn't want to play for a reduced salary. So another question will come up with Weddle is, would he be interested in coaching instead of Well, and you know what? Let's go straight into the mailbag now with that question from Alex, who gets in uh, two forward-looking questions. What do you think the chances of the Ravens taking on Eric Weddle as a secondary coach? You know, everything about Eric Weddle, if you watch him in camp, says he's a player coach already. Right. Yeah. And and his the way he's you know took over the Green Dot for a while this year and uh, you know it, it, the way he is at camp and everybody else watches from the sideline and he watches from behind the play because he wants the safety's view of the play. Uh, you know he's he's operating just at a different level and trying to understand not only how his own contributions work but how it fits in with the rest of the of the scheme. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what kind of a X's and O's guy Weddle would be, but we saw in camp the one X's and O play that he drew up, and I forget who's the uh, Nakua had the interception right. uh, d- during uh, during the preseason, and the, the the crowd just went crazy. Not the crowd, the, the the other players just went crazy for Weddle. I think he's a very relatable character. You know, watching him in his initial discussions with Hayden Hurst when he came in, you know, asking is he married and. The, he said no, and, and he says, oh, it's all ball then. That's good kind of thing. It's exactly the kind of probing mind you want, understanding the psyche of that young player and what sacrifices he has to make to stay in the ball, keep his head in football and whatnot. And, you know, I think I think he's a very relatable person in terms of that as a coach. So I'd be excited about the chance of it. I, I hope that he would want to, and he may want to, larger role than than he could otherwise expect so he'd probably want to be secondary coach right away somewhere right. and then with the inside track on being defensive coordinator within a few years so i i, I would you give him uh make sign him as a player with the salary he's getting now kind of with the knowledge that he's going to be an on the field coach and working with him of saying hey we might pull you out a little more and let the young guys go but we're looking at you as an on the field coach or is I think that too much you, money? I think you've got to make the, the cap decision based on whether or not he can really provide value as a player. If he if he if he comes back as a coach, first of all, that money's outside the cap, so right. you can pay him whatever you want to. But but I think he his salary gets cut to about a million dollars a year or less if he's a, if he's the sure. secondary coach. Yeah. Okay. Um I mean Harbaugh probably makes I, I don't know, five million a year, I'm 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 guessing. And then your coordinators may be in the one to two million range, and then your your right. your unit coaches are gonna be less than that. Uh, so yeah, I, I I can't imagine he would make over a million dollars a year as a as a secondary coach, even though he's Eric Weddle. Sure. Uh, but at least it's off cap if you do that, and it, I think that's a reasonable solution. I don't think it's reasonable to to pay him his fourth year salary, which is already inflated because of the way contracts work to escalate salaries through the through the period. So there's a value right. to cutting him in the in the last year. So I, I don't I I think probably that contract is just. It would have to be reduced if he was going to come back and play. Okay. Um, 
and then Alex also wants to know, have uh, you given any thought or any chance the Ravens given any thought of reaching out to Michael Vick and bringing him in as a, he says offensive coach, but I uh, would guess quarterback coach. Yeah, I think that would make the most sense. Urban uh, has a very good record with quarterbacks that are running quarterbacks. So I don't know. I don't know what sh- what role you have for Michael Vick, and something tells me Michael Vick is either would have to be either all in or all out on this kind of thing. And, and something right. tells me Michael Vick would kind of have very much conditional love for this kind of a coaching position. Okay, you. you, you well, I mean, well, well, what we do know about uh, Michael Vick is that he loves Marty Morningweg. He's trying to get into coaching mm-hmm. with that uh, flag football thing. And he, he has said that he talks to Marty for coaching advice. I mean, it's the earmarks are there. If you keep Morningweg, maybe you can have Mike, uh, Michael Vick, and maybe that makes sense for the organization. I just don't know what you do because I don't think you, I don't think you get rid of Urban. I think he's had too much success. So, but that doesn't mean you can't have a special assistant, the offensive coordinator, and it's Michael Vick. And I, you know, if he's if he's really serious about coaching, and I think that he more than Griffin even can make. Uh, Jackson understand what's really necessary. I'll say, I'll say this. There is no more overcoached player right now, probably in the entire NFL, than Jackson. Yeah. He has, about he has right. got every possible coaching avenue has been explored here to have Urban and, and Morningweg and have this run system and, you know, system completely built around him. I mean, it's just, it's a very good. Very good deal for him. If they were to go out and get Michael Vick to add to that, that would be that would be quite and, a murderous row. And, and and Robert Griffin, you know, yeah. as a backup. Oh yeah. Um, and if you can keep RG three around next year as a backup, that seems very fitting. And it'll be exciting to see as Lamar's stuff up and down. Either, no matter what you think of Lamar, he went in mid season when he wasn't projected to play this year. Mm-hmm. So to have it, give him a full off season, give him time in the weight room give him time with all these coaches let him learn the playbook and next season should be fun for Lamar yeah he, he's a half year ahead of his um Projection. development yeah. yeah all right um small mailbag today because everyone's got questions about the offense that we'll get into on the next one uh Minion Hunter wants to know uh how would you describe garbage time and does garbage time exist in the playoffs so clearly this is about those final uh, right. Easily being able to say, well, Lamar got those points during garbage time, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I for, well, first of all, I wouldn't really devalue that. I think what they were finally able to do in those drives is play no huddle, which finally slowed down their pass rush a little bit. Now they still were able to get in there and chase um, Lamar around, and Lamar a made a. Mahomes-like play that will not be remembered anymore, but to throw the right. ball over Derwin James' head and and drop it right on the money to to Dixon for the long play, yep. and that was we we just timed the the, the play. Today. It was over nine seconds that he was scrambling around in that pocket on that play. So not in the pocket, but all over the field on that play before he threw the ball. The the uh, uh, what else did I want to say on this? The the other thing, the escapes from in the pocket for ad- from additional sacks in this game to make runs to throw the incomplete pass on the left sideline, which was unfortunate that that wasn't complete after the fumble, but he probably avoided three sacks more yeah. in this game by escaping the pocket and, and running out of pressure. And that's something we noticed in scoring the offensive line is that there's some offensive linemen who are going to have bad scores anyway that really would have had worse scores if 
they had not been bailed out a couple additional times by uh, by Lamar. Gotcha. All right, so we'll get into that a lot deeper on the next episode, uh, which is a great time to kind of lay out the upcoming schedule and the offseason because this is the last week that we're going to recap a Ravens game. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's unfortunate, but we'll, we'll do that on probably on Wednesday. We'll do the show on the offensive on the offense. Uh, could could be as early as tomorrow, but it would be in the next few days and uh, be available no later than Thursday morning. Um, we'll, we'll do a roster segmentation. So we typically like to do that three times per year, and that's dividing the roster into those five categories, talking through a lot about, about what the Ravens are planning going into this offseason. I think this is the most pertinent time to do it. Uh, then we'll do it again. Uh, in camp, and then we'll do it again during the regular season on the bye week, like we did this last time. So, right. uh, uh, yeah. that's so offense and defense uh, roster segments will be next week. Mm-hmm. So we'll keep it rolling, and then uh, and then that's when we'll sit back and and kind of do the shows as they warrant based on the the off season schedule. If there's something that we need to talk about after Bashadi does his State of the Ravens, we can we can do in a podcast. If there's a specific topic that you, the listener, wants wants us to delve more into, definitely send that in because it's the off season. We're going to have some space for this other stuff. Yeah, I, you know, one thing I'd toss out there: if you'd like to do a podcast on anything or on ideas other people have, uh, one other thing I'd like to do this off season again is have a show where other people talk about their own football research. All right. So if you've got an idea for football research, if you play a lot of Madden and you want to break it down, (laughs) yes, that guy was, that guy was, uh, it was very interesting, very, very interesting. And I'll tell you what is he's a wild man, but it was, it was fun the way he did it. He kept it tongue in cheek. I thought he did a good job. Dade had some very sharp stuff that he did in that. And, uh, Michael Crawford was on that show as well. Or who was the third guy? I I think it was Michael. Yeah. You got it. So uh, you know, a really good run. I hope we have more opportunity to do that because I love those shows. I love working with anybody who wants to get into a career in football analytics and, and try and come up with their own methodology for modeling stuff. Love that. Right. Um, so right. Yeah. acquisition analysis, we'll talk through analysis of major cuts and trades as they occur, post-draft analysis, then we'll get back into full swing with the camp in the preseason. Right. Yep. So there we go. Nonstop. Well, a little bit. We don't have to do two. We won't be doing two to three a week. But we're still going to be regularly sending you new updates and podcasts to your podcast player. So make sure you're still subscribed and all that. Following on Twitter and everything. Ken, what's on over at Russell Street Report? I imagine you're busy this week. Yeah, I've got I've got a couple articles this week, a couple articles next week. But this week is the is the offense and defensive analysis from this game. I know a lot of people waiting for the offensive line scoring. There's something about... Offensive line scoring, they want the offensive line to have a terrible game so they can look and they can see just how bad James Hurst score or whoever they're currently dogging is. I can tell you it's quite bad this week. Um, right, well, well, here's my offensive question. Is is Sam uh, from The Athletic that we had on last week says that the Chargers saw something in our offensive line yeah. movement to, to give it away. Did you see that as well when you were watching film? Um, have you found it? <laughs> it's always possible, and this, some of that, what some of what Sam's basing on, is the Chargers making that claim. Yes, of that, course. That, yes, I mean, he. I hope. I hope he would not do it otherwise. But there's a lot it, of people talking about tendencies that the Ravens have in the second time and whatnot. And it's a, the fact it's a of the great matter mental is, mental game just to mess with your, the other offensive line to say you saw something. There you go. There you go. So if it's 
you know, it, it is something the Ravens have some pretty strong tendencies. One of the things that they've lived on this year so far is that they can run the same power play to the same side basically every time, but they always still have the option to run the ball the other way, sprint it with Lamar right. with misdirection. So you have to still have both sides covered. And it may be a slight advantage to know you're really only defending against power on the right side and you're defending against Lamar on the left side. But what we saw, you know, again in the Cleveland game in particular was Lamar running the ball up the middle a lot. So I think there's a lot of variation. I think the Ravens did a pretty good job of progressively adding things all year to make things just a little bit different. It's just the Chargers had, frankly, a revolutionary defensive approach. And we'll talk about that on the offensive podcast that, that stopped the Ravens in this game. All right. That sounds good. Uh, for me, go on over to uh, Birdland Sports and check out the new episode of Section 336 that also uh, came up today, and it is almost all Ravens talk. So, uh, a little different, but when you have a game like this and the season ending, you got to get into Ravens, and we'll, we'll have plenty of time to talk Orioles after that. There you go. Okay, so the Orioles, we get to get all excited about Orioles spring training uh, Yeah. next month. Yeah, yeah. We've got about a month of no sports in Baltimore. Well, we do have the blast if you're into soccer. You can go check that out. And then we'll get uh, to talk Orioles soon as well. All right. Very good, Josh. It's been a pleasure doing these with you this year. I look forward to the next one and, uh, and continuing on. All right. We'll talk soon. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab and go. Every day giftable. Every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's. Home to any budget. Home to any possibility. U.S. only. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.